Welcome to episode 60 of the Energy Balance Podcast, where we teach you how to live without constant hunger and cravings, fatigue, brain fog, poor sleep, and other low energy symptoms by maximizing your cellular energy. I'm Jay Feldman. I'm a health coach and independent health researcher. And joining me again today is my good friend, Mike Fave. Mike and I have been studying health and nutrition together for a long time now. And Mike also draws on his experiences from working within the healthcare industry. Today's episode is basically an offshoot of our last series discussing tissue oxygenation, cellular swelling, and pH balance, where in today's episode, we're going to be talking mostly on CO2 and its effects and impacts on the environment and climate. And this is not really a typical episode. We aren't really going to be discussing health and nutrition so much, or at least not directly. But what we will be discussing is still integral to any discussions relating to our health and the medical system and aspects of these things and the systems that control them that aren't directly related to what exact food uh, we're eating. So definitely still relevant, but not as focused on nutrition. If you do want to dig into some more nutrition-based episodes, feel free to head back to episodes one through seven, where we took some time to build a foundation as far as the bioenergetic view of health is concerned. But as far as today's episode goes, we'll be talking specifically about whether human-produced carbon dioxide is a major contributor to climate change. We'll be talking about whether carbon offsetting programs and initiatives are effective. We'll be talking about industry tactics that are used to shift blame to the people and allow for the industry to avoid taking responsibility for their actions. We'll be talking about whether we should be blaming each other for the destruction of our environment and tactics used by the media that prevent open discussion on controversial topics like the one we'll be discussing today. To check out these show notes for today's episode, head over to jfeldmanwellness.com podcast, where I'll link to these studies and articles and anything else that we reference throughout today's episode. And if you are dealing with any low energy symptoms, whether that's chronic cravings and hunger, fatigue, chronic pain, weight gain, digestive symptoms like bloating and inflammation, brain fog, poor sleep or insomnia, any hormonal imbalances like uh, that might present as low libido or reproductive issues of, of any sort, or if you're dealing with any chronic health conditions or other low energy symptoms, then head over to jfeldmanwellness.com energy where you can sign up for a free energy balance mini course I'll explain how these different symptoms and conditions are really caused by a lack of energy. And I'll also explain the main things that you can do from a diet and lifestyle perspective to restore your cellular energy production and maximize your cellular energy to resolve these symptoms and conditions. So to sign up for that free energy balance mini course, head over to jfeldmanwellness.com energy. And with that, let's get started. All right. So b before we wrap up this episode on carbon dioxide, well, before we wrap up this whole series, really, I, I feel like we have to talk at least a little bit about carbon dioxide uh, and its impact on the environment and its role in our atmosphere and in the environment, uh, just because it's something that's discussed a lot throughout the mainstream and politically, of course. And obviously, this isn't an area that we put a ton of our focus in. I mean, it is something that you know we find interesting and, and read about you know, and, and um, research a little bit about, but it's definitely not an area that we focus on heavily, at least up until this point, uh, as far as just the environmental impacts of these things. And 
I definitely want to put a bit of a disclaimer out there as well, where when it comes to any of these sort of topics, and we talked about this a lot when we were talking about some of the failures with modern medicine and conventional medicine, is that a lot of people will tend to have a bit of a knee-jerk reaction whenever you talk about this, and regardless of what side you know the, the listener is on. And that's to be expected with how heavily divided we've become on some of these issues. And so I just want to try as much as we can to like put those biases aside or you know encourage you listening to try to put those biases aside and and try to listen uh, you know and, and just consider the actual the actual points and I think that if we were to do that on all sorts of topics, you know we might lead to a lot more progress in in various areas. And so obviously when it comes to carbon dioxide related things, there's a lot of names that are thrown around you know on one side you have, like the global warming deniers or the climate change deniers and the people who are saying that the science is settled and and there's you know entire consensus and all scientists agree that this is what's happening. And then on the other side, you have, you know, the idea that these people are just like, you know, only care about the economy and are just like pro-oil or you know something along those lines, or are just entirely ignorant of science and are, you know, basing their decision on some other interest or some other uh, thought process. And so I want to try to definitely work away from those ideas because obviously it doesn't get us anywhere and that's not actually what's happening. I think it's pretty like any time that on any topic that somebody says the science is settled, I think that's an area to be um, critical. Yeah, it's it's definitely a red flag for sure. And it's something to to be mindful of and and to consider, you know, why is it that we're trying to silence the other side? Why is it that there's no, you know, that there can't be a discussion on this topic? And it's it, it's definitely something that is used for people who are either very strong proponents, but also it tends to be used by people who don't know a lot about the topic, but who feel like they're supposed to feel strongly about it, and so they can't even engage in a discussion about it because a lot of times they don't even they don't even know what they don't know, sort of thing. Uh, they they really don't understand it to a, to a large extent, and most of it is fueled by politics and emotion as opposed to the actual understanding here. And another kind of disclaimer I want to put forth too is that. And this will become apparent, but like we care a lot about the environment and the earth and nature and the preservation of all of those things. And I, I mean, at least as of right now, it doesn't seem like carbon dioxide is at odds with those things. It, I would say like even the opposite. So, yeah, with that in mind, I guess just to share a few thoughts here is that in the same way that we talked about how carbon dioxide physiologically is considered to be a waste product and it's not really looked at as something that's health promoting. I think you see a somewhat parallel uh, response to carbon dioxide environmentally. And I think in many ways it's become a scapegoat, of course, for uh, this idea of global warming that we're producing a lot of carbon dioxide and that's you know driving global warming. And that's the, that's the entire problem. It all centers around this greenhouse gas and maybe the methane too from the cows, you know, and I think that this scapegoat has drawn us away from a lot of what's actually going on environmentally and, and what's actually destroying a lot of the planet, which I think has much more to do with the pollution of the air and water and deforestation. And those things are definitely separate, direct, you know, it's not, those things aren't directly related to carbon dioxide. And I think another huge factor here as well is, is overconsumption and consumerism. And that's, I mean, to, to like see where all the plastic is ending up is, is like, you know, all the single use items I, I think is pretty good evidence of, of that. And I think that 
all of these things tend to be driven by corporate interest. And we talked about this again in, in the, uh, you know, our, the failures of modern medicine episodes, which I'll link to, where a lot of times the corporate or, you know, whether it's pharmaceutical companies or um, various companies that are polluting our, our earth will, will try in various ways to direct the focus on something that they can change easily and that doesn't actually cause them to lose any money or cause them to lose any um, and any industry, any aspect of their industry or their industry control or, or their profit. So I think that carbon dioxide tends to be one of those things where there's a lot that they can try to do to quote unquote offset carbon emissions um, and to be carbon neutral. And that's much easier than actually preventing the pollution that they're causing and the deforestation and, and actually considering the overconsumption that they're encouraging. Uh, you know, just a little side note about plastic is that when it was first marketed, it was supposed to be like it was it was marketed as something that was for long-term use for like furniture and things that you were going to use for a long time because it was very sturdy and then of course you can make a lot more money if these things are single use kind of cheap products that um you know you just throw out and don't really worry about again and so anyway that uh, kind of a, a side note here but definitely related to the destruction or problems with destroying you know with what's going on environmentally in our planet but another thing that uh that the whole focus on carbon dioxide does as far as the environment is it shifts the blame to the people as opposed to, to the corporations who are doing a lot of the polluting where now you can consider your own carbon footprint as this major part of the problem. And again, not to say that the amount of fossil fuels that we're burning shouldn't be considered, um, but more just whether the, the carbon dioxide is really the focus. And again, also another example is the, the removal of carbon dioxide from the atmosphere is something that's being done currently and has talked about being done on a much larger scale in order to supposedly prevent climate change, prevent global warming, which, you know, if assuming that this is actually a scapegoat, I think is, is really, you know, misdirecting funds and resources and, and effort. Yeah. I mean, there's like, you went through a lot of stuff, so there's quite a few points to unpack there. I think the first thing that I, that I personally want to touch on is that, there's being there's multiple thought processes that are being pushed across the mainstream and they're being pushed as dichotomies so it's like if you're if you're if you care about the environment then you believe in global warming or now it's climate change right they've changed it from it's not global warming anymore it's climate change um because i think the global warming idea kind of fell flat Right. There's a reason for that. I mean, just to, just to t like real quick, one is, is it's, it became hard to prove global warming, which is, you know, like, and it depends on what temperature readings are going based off of and some interesting thoughts as far as like satellite readings versus ground readings and, and all of that, which is not worth getting into at the moment, but it became harder. And the other thing too, is when you make it climate change, it's, much less static. Like the climate is always changing in a million ways. So it's like creating an argument that you can't be wrong and you can't falsify, but it also isn't really saying anything. And it doesn't mean that it's being caused by people, you know? Exactly. It's, and it can be, you can make that into anything, right? right. You can make climate change into anything that you want to fit your narrative. And if anybody disagrees with that, oh, you're a climate denier, mm -hmm. you automatically get a label. And that's very productive from their point of view to silence opposition or to close down opposition. But anybody who critically thinks about climate change or global warming and understands that there's, there's a bunch of evidence of different causation and theories all over the place 
from from sunspots to space weather or whatever else uh, there's there's a con there's a couple different things or like or solar minimums it's actually another big one it the idea that it's settled and that there's this idea of climate change and it's being driven by co2 is just kind of like it's just scratching the surface it, it's and and moving the target from global warming to climate change is the same strategy they're using you can see the same exact strategy they're using with genetics where we started with genetics and then we then genetics didn't necessarily pan out once they sequenced the genome and then now all of a sudden oh it's epigenetics now so it's a small step in another direction so that the mainstream interest isn't necessarily wrong it was just it's it's one place removed oh it's it's not directly the genes it's how we regulate the genes so it's like a, a climb out of that hole essentially and, and global warming and climate change it's the same 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 logical or psychological tactic that they're employing and another tactic i i wanted to touch on here is the idea of consensus it, consensus means absolutely nothing it literally means nothing it's a whole bunch of people think this and what Right. It doesn't mean that they're right is what you're getting. At. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. It's, and typically when someone's citing consensus, there rarely is actually consensus. Well, it, that, it, that's, a, that's also a great point, but it's just, it's consensus on, on what, like, it doesn't matter what a whole bunch of random people believe. It matters what the information actually says. So. Right. Yeah, it just, I just don't think that that's a basis for, for anything. And especially because with the climate aspect or the global warming aspect, when they start talking about consensus, like, well, who are these scientists? What are their credentials? It doesn't even, not even what their credentials, like, why do they think what they think? What's the rationale? What's the thought process? What's the data? That's really what you need to get to instead of just sitting there relying on, oh, so-and-so from whatever university says this. It's like, Unless he had PhD from whatever university behind his name, it'd be the same thing as me saying, oh, my friend down the street says that this and his, all of his friends say this too. So this must be true. It doesn't, it, it's not necessarily so valuable, right? It's, and experts are people and they can change their opinions and they change their thought process. And if they are good experts, it's more than likely that they're going to adjust their thought processes and opinions over time as more data comes to light. But it's in this case, it's not even about that. It's the idea of saying, creating a statement. Oh, all these experts think this. It's like a peer pressure appeal to authority, logical fallacy that people use to get you to move in one direction or another when it, it, that, that doesn't have any bearing on, on science. Science isn't determined by consensus. Science is determined, is determined on the basis or used to be determined on the basis of a hypothesis, a hypothesis process. We have an idea. We test out where we have an understanding of something, we test it out. And then we can never necessarily prove it directly right, but we can continue to prove that these the challenges are wrong. The null hypothesis is consistently wrong. That's the scientific process. Not a hundred guys in a room think this, so therefore it must be true. It doesn't that doesn't necessarily tell us anything. Now you there is something to be said for listening to somebody's opinion who has studied the subject or knows more about that particular subject. We're not questioning that, but what we're saying is using consensus as an argument isn't, it's not an argument, it's a non-argument. Um, and I think that's really important, important to point out. So it, the consensus argument and then the idea of 
walking things back by just changing the language a little bit. So it's, oh, it's not genetics, it's epigenetics. It's not global warming, it's client, climate change. And then trying to conflate them as similar or make them seem some like something similar. I don't think any of these are helpful. I think they're all they're all basically logical or psychological tactics to move people in a particular direction and put pressure on them. And then the other thing is creating the first thing I kind of mentioned was creating different thought processes or different ideas and then making them juxtaposed to each other, like dichotomous mm -hmm. to each other, where it's like, oh, if you're not if you don't believe in climate change, then you're a climate denier. Or if you don't believe that CO2 is causing global warming, then you're a climate denier. It's these aren't either or statements. I I think both of us here can agree that there's pollution issues and there's being there's damage being done to the planet on multiple levels that are serious and are are causing issues to environments and ecosystems. And that has nothing to do with CO2. And that doesn't make us climate deniers. And it doesn't mean that we don't care about the planet. It's not these are not black or white either or things. These are the, especially this type of stuff is very nuanced. And it depends on what topic you want to cover. Covering plastics in the ocean is very different from covering air pollution created by burning fossil fuels that may have nothing to do with CO2, the other compounds that are generated, or the or strip mining. All of these things are very different from each other. And to go and classify all of them together as, oh, climate change, it, it's glossing over multiple nuanced topics that are largely unrelated to each other and require their own individual research. You can't sit there and say, oh, I care about the planet, global warming. That's not, a, it's not an answer to anything. Or, oh, I care about the planet, climate change. Oh, you don't believe in CO2, climate denier. I'm sure you can have people who are ardent experts in the field who don't think anything of the CO2 hypothesis, but are doing more than any of these other people marching on, sign, marching on the street with signs about climate change. They're going, the, the expert who doesn't believe in the CO2 hypothesis and who has researched whatever about plastics in the ocean, he's going to go on Twitter, he's going to go on social media, he's going to make a statement, whatever, and you're going to get a whole bunch of these people who supposedly care about the environment, go ahead and label him a climate denier, yet he's dedicated his life to looking at something with plasticizers. And, and I'm not saying that it's necessarily these people's fault. It's the mainstream narrative is being pushed into people to create these dichotomous groups so that if you don't align with one, then you must be the other, which is a logical fallacy. It's like if you're if you're not A, then you have to be B when there's no link between A and B. It's just like that you have to uh, you have to believe the presupposition first. Mm -hmm. And so that's like we, we need to get out of that. We need to remove that from the process. What is the actual problem that you want to address here? What is the actual thing you want to address here? What's the data behind it? What's everything showing us? What's the large picture? And then what's our conclusion from that on this specific topic? And it's a lot harder to get into that than it is to just say, oh, global warming, climate change. It's like, well, okay, is the climate changing? Yes, it's always changing. Well, how is it changing and what's causing it? And we're, we'll get into some of the other theories in a second, but there's different hypotheses and theories about it. You, it's not like the idea of carbon dioxide is but one theory. And just and to be honest, there's a lot of evidence to not support. And this is why they had to walk away from the global warming idea, because there's there's kind of like a lot of stuff cropping up. So it was adjusted to climate change. Yeah. And before that, it was the hole in the ozone layer. <laughs> well, yeah. But even and Dr. Pete has talked about this 
too. And there, and like there, I've seen news articles. I think it was from the forties or the fifties where it was like global cooling was going to be a problem. And then it like right. shifts. Oh, yeah. And so there's a media cycle for this type of stuff. And then the other thing that we heard about for X period of time was, what was it? The, uh, like the, we're running out of oil or like yeah. peak oil, the idea of peak oil. So yeah. they had that for however long we don't hear anything about peak oil anymore. Like the narratives just keep shifting. Well, and there used to be like the overpopulation idea too. They used to say that we were going to hit that point. Uh, you know, what, the 1980s or something based on their earlier calculations yeah. that we weren't going to be able to feed everyone. There's going to be massive, you what know. was that, Ehrlich? That was yeah. er- the, who was saying, making all these ridiculous predictions. Yeah, and there's going to be massive starvation events. Yeah. yeah. People, I think people need to realize that these are agendas and these are, they're literally agendas. It's someone pushing some type of agenda. If you really want to know anything about it, you have to actually go look at the information directly yourself and not from the people who are pushing the agendas. Because right. what they're gonna, what the people who are pushing the agendas are gonna do, are gonna take a piece of data. That is true. This piece of data is true. They're gonna inject that piece of data. It's like, okay, well, this is true, and then they're gonna put their the rest of their argument either next to or around that piece of data, and then people are gonna conflate. Oh, well, if this is true, then the rest of their stuff must be true. It's like a disarming process. Somebody can say something that's true. Somebody can believe something that's true. Carnivores, and as, as an example, their, their thought processes on the value of consuming animal products is true. That doesn't mean that the rest of their deductions about carbohydrates and plants and whatever else is necessarily true. It's, you, it's, not an, it's never an either or. So, and, but the mind wants to generalize things, and it's just a process of psychology. The mind tends to want to generalize things. So it's easier to make that generalization. Oh, you know, carnivore. Well, animal products do actually have all these benefits. Well, so then I guess they must be right about everything else. And I'm not trying to blame people for that, but I'm trying to bring awareness to that because that's what's that's what these that's what these the me the the news and the media are preying on, and what these large government organizations and corporations and non-governmental organizations, whatever else, are preying on with people. This is where the this is what the propaganda is it's playing on these psychological tricks and logical fallacies to push people in a different in in a different direction and create this divisiveness and then this idea of dichotomies and and, and conflation patterns essentially yeah, yeah and distracted dis- distractionary arguments you when you first recognize that it makes it easier to start processing the information from from a I guess a more neutral or as objective as possible point. You're all we're always going to have our bias, but there is a you we are I think humans are able to get close it with some careful thoughts and some some careful analysis to a closer state of objectivity and not be pushed around by basically manipulation techniques, psychological manipulation techniques. Yeah. Yeah. Uh yeah and and so and, and you touched on it there too. I, I know earlier you were talking about situations with you know, scientists having certain beliefs, but another huge factor here is the funding and the industry that they're being funded by, or the ostracization that occurs of people who have uh, alternate beliefs and then you can't get a job or whatever else. I mean, those things are all going to drive what looks like consensus in some ways too, um, you know, and makes it harder to find some of the, the, um, the non-consenters or the you know, people who are, who are uh, you know, not non-compliance. Yeah. Yeah. They don't wear their masks. <laughs> yeah. And obviously like this is something that's, that's 
been ubiquitous in the last year and a half as far as all of these things that we've talked about. And and obviously, as a lot of people know too, it's it's not so clear and easy to to wade through it all. But um, yeah, and and to I mean, those were all all really important points and something to always keep in mind when we're considering what is the what tends to be the mainstream agenda, who's behind it, and is this just trying to again act as a scapegoat so that we feel like we're doing something that's helping the world and in reality it's just a complete distraction from what's the actual damage that's going on and the loss of our of our whether it's our planet or our freedom or our health or, or whatever it is their agenda which tends to be the same thing yeah. yeah yeah well i'm saying it's it's rather than just being a distraction a lot of times it can actually be like directly helping the agenda true like yes. a lot of people are going plant-based for ethical reasons and it's like the idea of moving the market to plant-based by these large corporations and people who have vested interest in pushing this agenda involves monocropping GMO crops uh, across continents and completely destroying ecosystems. You can have a problem with tearing down the Amazon rainforest or tearing down ecosystems to create more land for farming and whatnot. There's arguments for that that are, you know, that I can't, like, they're valid, right? I'm 100% valid. But to make to follow plant-based diet out of interest for some of this stuff is not helping that situation it, the whole entire this whole center of the US to a large extent or a vast majority of the interior states are used for heavy heavy monocultures with industrial monocropping and fertilizers that is not good for any ecosystem they've completely destroyed topsoil they've completely destroyed ecosystems the land is is stripped of nutrients and value. It it it's to to say, oh, I'm I'm gonna go plant based and I'm gonna eat impossible burgers to help the planet is laughable. That like, and I don't. It's not to offend anybody here. Like, I'm not trying to be offensive, but it really is. It doesn't make any sense. That's not that's not a strategy that makes sense. That doesn't. It the it's they create it and it's it's not necessarily the individual's fault who's following that it's you passively are receiving this this consistent stream of propaganda from the news cycle all the time plant-based save the world plant-based save the world and then the option that they then present is impossible burger or lab grown meats or whatever else and then it's like oh here's the solution it's like that because cow farts it, it's like it's you hear it so much that it becomes true and you don't go and look at the process that's used to create these things or where they're coming from and you don't take that level deeper you're just getting it from the news cycle and, and then it's like oh well this this picture you get you're basically they're creating a framework in your mind that you are you're passively accepting where it's like oh cow farts are causing a problem because methane is even worse than co2 and then they're tearing down forests for pasture land for cows. Like, okay, that sort of makes sense. And then it's like, well, we, if I eat plant-based and I won't have all these problems with, with eating cows or chickens or pigs or whatnot. Oh, the plant, the impossible burger, it's plant-based. It can replace my burgers. It's like they create this logic, this simple logical loop. If you accept all the presuppositions, but if you don't accept those presuppositions, if you question those presuppositions, you basically look and you're like, wow, this narrative is absolute crap. Like it makes zero sense. And it, so the first step in dealing with any of these topics, whether it's CO2 or, or I don't know, medical stuff, whatever it is, you start getting 
when you start to question those things, you start to see the narrative break down and then you have to go look for the alternative solutions and actually see what makes sense. And it is harder and it is more time consuming. And I know a lot of people just don't have the time for that. I mean, the idea for news essentially in the beginning was, you know, you have a station that's putting, giving you content about what's going on. But like when that gets bastardized and abused, it, it causes a huge issue. So there's a lot of issues going on with that. But I think the first thought, Part is to be is to open up your mind and be aware and question. I think that's the the first step and and a, be aware of what you're passively taking in and, and accepting as information. And, and that goes even with listening to what we're talking about, right? That goes with anything that you hear. Actually, think about it. Take don't passively accept it. In whether that's your your movies, whether that's your music, whether that's what you're reading, whether that's what you're listening to on a podcast, whether that's what you see on social media. There needs to be a healthy level of skepticism and a healthy level of internal awareness of what information you're accepting and if you're and then putting it through a filter. And it is time consuming and energy expensive, but it's it's the only way currently to really root through what's going on. Yeah. Or if you don't have the time and energy to to do that, just examine your beliefs and maybe consider, you know, acknowledge the possibility that there's a lot that you don't know, which, you know, is always going to be the case. Yeah. And it's perfect. It's, it's great. And then try to, you know, keep your mind open to those other things. And definitely I would encourage someone not to hold on to their beliefs so tightly in that situation. Cause then, you know, especially when you reckon, and that goes hand in hand with recognizing that you don't have all this information. And so I don't think everybody needs to know everything and, or needs to always be trying to learn everything. I think it's great just, you know, for somebody to do that. I'm, I'm definitely encouraging of that, but uh, it's okay not to, uh, as long as you also recognize that and then don't end up calling anybody who disagrees with the light, you know, lightly held opinion that you have a denier of science or, or, in, you know, or any other plethora of names. Um, but to, to circle back to CO2 a little bit, cause I wanted to at least, you know, I'm, I think most people who are inundated with this narrative don't, aren't even aware of some of the counterpoints and, and some of those things. And so I figured it was at least maybe worth going through a couple of interesting talking points that most of these, you know, I've, I, I went ahead and checked, but were pulled from a, uh, Joe Rogan's podcast with Randall Carlson. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's the first one. I'll, I'll link to it in the show notes. Uh, Randall Carlson is, uh, you know, he I'm pretty sure he's a climatologist or geoclimatologist, some, some all, you know, some combination of all those things, something he studies a lot and knows a ton about and has, that interview is really, really fascinating to listen to. And uh, he's a wealth of knowledge and he refers to other researchers as well that are, you know, throughout that episode that I think are worth investigating too. But just, just to circle back and give some concrete uh, things to think about. So the first is that there are a lot of different factors affecting our climate and climate change. Uh, and while some of those are, you know, might be within our control, something like carbon dioxide in the atmosphere uh, a lot are not in our control. And as you mentioned earlier, some of that has to do with like the solar cosmic rays. Uh, another factor there is the Earth's geomagnetic field, which uh, helps to buffer those rays to an extent. And so that's, on a, you know, that can vary considerably as well during different time periods. Uh, but throughout the Earth's history, there's a huge oscillation of, of cooling, cooling and warming periods uh, that happen to be associated with times of, of growth in species and times of contraction as well. And there's a lot of different things that can cause them, you know, another huge factor that everybody knows about too is, but doesn't think about as much as like asteroidal impacts, which have, you know, wiped out very, you know, huge amounts of species over time and also dramatically changes the climates uh, in, 
you know, in various ways. So those are all things to consider. And then in particular now, we're actually, I mean, we don't know if we're towards the end, but we're pretty far into a long mini warming period that had started hundreds of years or around a hundred years, I'm pretty sure, before we started really producing significant amounts of fossil fuels. So we've already been on that same warming trajectory and it doesn't seem like it's changed all that much. And of course, it's also important to consider that it's not like the planet is considerably warmer than it has been in the past. There's been many times where life has flourished and it's been much warmer. Uh, and the same thing is also true for the carbon dioxide factor, where right now we're just about you know somewhere around 400 parts per million of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, and which has gone up you know in the last 100 years. Um, but for one, it's important to consider that there are other places that carbon dioxide gets released from. One of them is actually the ocean, that the ocean holds on to carbon dioxide as like a sink and then gets released there, uh, which is, you know, as it warms up. It releases more. Yeah. Right, right. And if it was already warming up for other reasons, that could have also lead, led to an increase in carbon dioxide. But also that 400 parts per million is pretty minuscule compared to previous periods, again, where life was flourishing. If you consider like the dinosaur eras, uh, there was as much as 2,000 parts per million CO2 at that point when life was expanding considerably and there's huge amounts of vegetation much more than now right right so that's definitely something to consider especially when you also consider the fact that plants use carbon dioxide as as like a fuel they breathe carbon dioxide in and so increasing carbon dioxide would tend to have an effect of increasing plant life and growth and obviously carbon dioxide has some benefits for us too as we've talked about throughout the series so and other organisms too i mean the another example that we actually didn't discuss is the naked mole rat, which lives underground in a high CO2 environment and happens to be really resistant to cancer and other diseases and lives many times longer, at least 30 years on average, which I think about that, which... And the average rat is like two, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, something like that. I mean, it's way longer than another rodent that's similar in, in size uh, would typically live. And so there's a possibility that that could be attributed at least in part to carbon dioxide. Uh, and I'd you know, I'll, I'll link to some info on that in the show notes as well. So there's this possibility that the carbon dioxide could actually be really helpful in a lot of ways. And another interesting thing as well is that there's supposedly based on the amount of carbon dioxide that's been released just from fossil fuels, the increase in uh, carbon dioxide in our atmosphere is much less than would be expected. And so, you know, again, that that might lend some support to the idea that it's actually uh, you know, working to fuel plant growth in various ways. And so again, these are just some small talking points that obviously we're not doing, you know, it's not like this is anything in depth. I would encourage anyone to look into all these things in more detail, but there's all these different factors that could be affecting our climate in very way, various ways. The fact that our climate has been changing considerably between cooling and warming periods, both mini and large uh, over decades, over millennia, you know, centuries, millennia. Cyclically, it has, it's yeah. a cyclical effect. It's not just like, it's not like, there's not like one-off things. We haven't had a consistent climate. It's constantly changing. Right. Considerably. Changing on a, it's changing on a time scale that is much larger than our lifespan. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and another interesting thing too, is at least it seems when you look at, through that history, those cooling periods tend not to be periods of a lot of advancement or um, like, or life, you know, things tend to contract a lot during those, those time periods, uh, you know, and it seems that warmth and, and carbon dioxide t- together tend to really encourage life. So yeah. yeah, that's definitely something to consider as, as well. Um, yeah. I don't know. Do you have much else to add there? 
I, I remember one point in time we were actually passing an article back and forth where they were talking about CO2 wasn't wasn't such a huge predictor or one of the main greenhouse gases. Like it didn't have such a massive effect. It like had such a minuscule, like the percentage of effect it had was extremely small. Mm. And so like when you take that into consideration with like comparisons to other periods of time, it's content. And then when you take that into consideration of like the effect of CO2 on plant life and the effect of temperature on the planet on plant life and that we <laughs> ideally need larger amounts of CO2 and adequate amounts of heat across the planet to produce enough food. You know, it's, it's not a good thing. I, I personally don't believe it's a good thing to actively try and lower CO2. Do I think it's a good thing to lower burning of certain fuels that, you know, they coal and, and whatnot that put out a ton of other products besides CO2 that can be problematic? Yes. Yeah, like particulate matter that's contributing to actual pollution. Yeah, exactly. Do I think and smog and whatever else? Like, in, do I think it's a good idea to stop using plastic water bottles and plastic everything and and socking it away in landfills or dumping it in the ocean? Yes. Do I think that you know we need to stop paving the entire <laughs> the entire world and and everything else and and um we need to stop basically taking down the rainforest and whatnot. Yes. I think that these are all valuable things to work towards. Mm -hmm. I just don't think that CO2 personally is really the problem. I think that there's much larger issues as far as pollution goes. And another example, pharmaceutical waste into the, um, into the water supply, plasticizers and plastic and industrial chemicals in the water supply, right? Runoff from, from monocultures and industrial farm systems into the water supply with, with dangerous chemicals and, and whatever else have you and destruction of the topsoil and destruction and degradation of the food supply and um, some of the industrial farming practices. Do I think all of those are problems? Yes. Those are a hundred percent problems. Those are things that it would be great if we could move towards, towards adjusting those things. However, I don't think the solution to those things is GMO. And I don't think the solution to those things is cell-based meats or plant-based meats or faux plant garbage. I don't think any of that is the solution. I don't think it'll ever be the solution. And I think that taking into consideration optimization of human health is a key component in making sure that things are done appropriately and that these things are solved. If everybody on the planet moves to eating impossible burgers and cell and lab-grown meats, and develops rank nutrient deficiencies and gut issues and toxicities and poor fertility, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I don't think there's going to be a lot of advancement towards going on to fix these issues. The other thing that I that I want to address here that I hear consistently, not only from other people online, but from like my own family members, is the idea that there's too many people in the world and that and and that there needs like we need to slow down population growth or not have as many people and that there's not enough resources on the planet to feed all these people. I think anybody making these arguments doesn't like, doesn't have like what most people that I've seen making these arguments, like I haven't seen a single shred of evidence to support that. Like, where's the data to support that? If anything, I've seen people starting to talk about the modeling systems that they use to look at the amount of food that we have and the food supply and whatnot being just as good as the COVID modeling systems that they used to determine how many people were going to get sick. 
which if you actually looked at the original model that they used was horrific. It was atrocious. It didn't predict anything even close to what actually happened. And the same thing is going on with the food supply and who is behind the modeling systems, the, the industrial interests, and why do the industrial interests want to push these particular models that create a supposed outcome? Because it drives their own, their whatever their own purposes are, right? If you, if you start to say, oh, we need to grow more food, we need to push for new, more food, oh, we're going to have a food supply shortage. The food system behind this benefits from that. It cre- it's creating a demand. It, and on top of that, it, it's, it's, it's a piece of the puzzle to move things in a certain direction, right? It's, it's, oh, we don't have enough food supply. So, oh, you know the solution? Oh, GMOs. We need, to, we need to make more genetically modified patented seeds that we can sell to farmers with heavy industrial equipment and industrial fertilizers because that's what's going to feed the world. And there's been a lot of pushback against that by certain groups and people because basically it hasn't panned out that way. It hasn't turned out to produce much of anything valuable in the long run. And even in countries like India, it, which is not necessarily on the news, but or not on the news in the United States, at least, there's been farmer protests and mass suicide by farmers because of the amount of debt and destruction that's going on on their farms when they got switched over into GMO farming. Through these larger corporations, Monsanto, Syngenta, whatever, whatever, whatever other corporation you want to talk about, so it's you have to be very careful with with the information and where you go with it, especially around global warming and plant based foods and whatever else, and then the solutions that are being offered. Right. These solutions that are being offered are not solutions to solve these problems. The solutions that are being offered are the solutions that these corporations want to push to solve their problems. Coke is going to create research and models and ideas and theories that support the idea that you just need to eat less and exercise more to, to make sure that your, your body stays healthy and you don't develop disease so that you continually suck down its nutrient deficient, synthetically created garbage drink. Now, Mexican Coke may be a little bit different, but the idea is the idea is, is basic there. We don't we want you to think that you just need to act, eat less and exercise more so that you don't focus on the fact that the food that we're going to sell you has zero nutrition and that the actual problem is a nutrition problem. The, it, and that's what they're doing. Coke's doing that with this. Monsanto and uh, our friend Bill Gates and whoever else, call me conspiracy theorist, are buying up farmland and funding Impossible Burger and, and, and these other cell-based meats and whatnot, and then saying, oh, we're having issues with supplying the world with food, and we need to, the only solution here is GMO. It's like, you can't be the pur- purveyor of GMO and then turn around and, and say we're, create issues with supply chains and create issue with food and then say the, the, the reason we don't have this is because GMO. It's a conflict of interest, like to trust their modeling and to trust their basis when we know what their motive is behind it just doesn't make any sense. You, and so a, a lot of these narratives are moving in that direction. And a lot of these narratives are being funded and pushed through the mainstream media so that people can people basically get a mental framework of how things are supposed to work. Here's the problem. And then, oh, we just so happen to have the solution right here, too. But the solution is not a solution to the actual problem. The solution is a solution to the manufactured problem. Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no. Yeah. I mean, just it makes them money. <laughs> yeah. Money or power or whatever they want to establish. Right. And they and it looks like they're doing the right thing in the process. Right. And so when we see like carbon offsetting, when we're coming back to carbon dioxide, yeah, it's sorry. a way to not actually, it's okay. It's a way to not actually change anything that they're doing, but then just pay for some sort of conservation or pay to take carbon out of the atmosphere or whatever it is. 
as if that's actually offsetting the amount of pollution that they're that and destruction of the uh, water and food supply and ecosystems and all of that. And as you're saying too, yeah. with GMOs, we're seeing that with the destruction of of um, pollinators, like the bee population and things like that. And we're also seeing because of various pollutants and plastics and whatever else, we're seeing uh, endocrine disruption in various organisms. We're seeing plastics like in found in small amounts in seafood. We're seeing that we're then. seeing it in babies. We're seeing right, the right. plastics and pharmaceutical drugs in babies' fetal blood. Right. Like there's people are taking samples of fetal blood and finding like hundreds of known chemicals from industrial processes, pharmaceutical companies, and whatever else in the fetal blood. And then right. people want to turn around and act like there's no like oh birth rates are going down not because of that. The autism rates and and birth defects are skyrocketing not because of that. It's like. Again, more narrative, more garbage narrative to completely distract people from what's actually going on. And right. anybody who says, oh, this this may be what's going on, gets labeled as a climate denier, a conspiracy theorist, uh, wants to kill your grandma, some ridiculous, uh, some ridiculous racist, whatever it is, like all these different terms that they're creating categories for anybody who disagrees with what they're talking about. And then, and then the people who still don't care about that. Oh, we're going to censor you. We're going to shut you down. We're not going to, we're not, you can't talk anymore. Be quiet. It's right. like, it's absolutely absurd. It's, and it's like blatant in front of people's, it's like when you start censoring people, it's like, doesn't anybody sit there and think, well, why did they shut that guy down? Yeah. You know, <laughs> oh, he was a conspiracy theorist. He's a white nationalist. He's a, it's like the guy didn't even talk about anything to do with white nationalism. He was, he was talking about GMOs. He was talking about, I don't, I don't even know. He was talking about something to do with, with Koch's theory or anything like that. He was talking about something to do with government regulation in certain periods of time. Like he had nothing, he wasn't, he, there's nothing to do with what the category he labeled him as. It's just like big category there. Boom. You're done. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hopefully that doesn't happen in this podcast. Hopefully we're, <laughs> you're actually listening to this and you can find it when you go back and look for it. Uh, just, just a quick closing remark real quick, because I know we talked about plastic quite a bit. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to point out also that recycling is not uh, doesn't seem to be a very effective solution there. It's not very efficient. Uh, most people are not like recycling properly, and that's because there's like a huge miseducation situation there going on where we just think that we're it's okay that we're over consuming because we can just recycle it all. And in, in reality, it, it really tends not to work out too well. And a vast majority of what you're buying can't actually be recycled. So I just wanted to throw that out there. Um, it's kind of a side note, but I know we we're talking about plastic and. That's another one of those things very similar to the carbon offsetting, where it's a way to put the uh, put the responsibility on the consumer and ignore the industry's uh, role in the in the problem. Um, yeah. So yeah. I just I want to add to that too. And this is the last thing I'll add is that I want people to start to realize, or I want to, or at least in my opinion, I, I think that people should start to realize that too many people and they themselves are not the problem. The problem in the world is not that we have too many people to feed. The problem in the world is that we have modeling systems that tell us there's too many people to feed and that the way that we're going about feed, the systems that we're using to feed people are the problem. And those weren't set up by the people who are necessarily eating. Those were set up by a lot of these corporations in a, in a very negative way. There's, we need to explore alternative technologies and alternative ideas about how to do these things the right way rather than just say, oh, there's too many people, we need to get rid of them. And, and, and we need to, the blame is constantly pushed onto the consumer. 
the problem that you have health disease or you're fat or overweight or whatever it is, it is because you eat too much. It's your gluttony. The mm-hmm. problem that you are that there's too much plastic in the world is because you is because, you know, you're buying too many Coca-Cola or you're not recycling it or, yeah, or you're not recycling. The reason that there's too much carbon in the world is because you're driving your car too much. It's like you everyone here is most people, the vast majority of the population is functioning within the system that was created. The problem is not the people. The problem is the system. Technology can advance rapidly if it's not being actively dissuaded and actively suppressed. That's what's currently going on now because the systems that are in place have a motive to keep themselves in place and perpetuate their own, perpetuate themselves. They are the problem. Coca-Cola selling all their drinks with zero nutrition and plastic bottles is the problem, not the consumer. The consumer, yeah. it, 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 and it, it, there is an element where the consumer is involved in that. Yes, of course. But what? But the idea is, you know, you can choose to buy it or not, right? That that's part of the idea. But right. when you're only giving so many salute, when you're only giving so many options of what you can buy, and all of it is in plastic bottles, right? Ninety nine percent of the options you can have in plastic bottles, like it's almost like could you buy glass? Yeah. But you don't, do you have enough money to buy everything in glass? Well, that's another point. It's almost like, you oh, it's the consumer's fault. There's only these options on the table, right? Yeah, and, it, and that's that's the. Go ahead, go ahead. Well, I was just saying, and, and all the education is to suggest that what, you know, that that not only are there only those options, but that it's all you know, it's not the corporation's fault, and and they're not actually causing any problems. And, yeah. yeah, it's that. I was just saying, it's education, and in, in addition to that. The, the the whole point I want to get across is the solution isn't to get rid of people and the solution isn't to blame people. The solution right. is to change the systems. That's really what it's about. And that involves people taking responsibility. Yes, but it's not like electric vehicles and electric trucks and or electric trolleys and whatnot were in vogue in the early 19th century. Right. They were a huge thing. The automotive industry and standard oil changed and decentivized the development of trolleys and electric electric motors and whatever else to push the combustion engines so that they can sell oil for their combustion engine they created the market and then now they now it's going to turn around and it's oh it's the consumer's fault it's like it's it's ridiculous it's such a ridiculous thing to go on and push onto the consumer and the same thing with Coke. Oh, you're fat because you're eating too much. Not because the Coca-Cola or the Fanta or the Pepsi or the Sprite or the other sugar-based things that we put out there is the, or the majority of your options are are the problem. It's your gluttony. Like I, I want to, I just wanted people to shift all away from seeing it as it's their fault, it's humanity's fault, and start recognizing that we can do something about it and we need to change the systems. Mm-hmm. That that's kind of it's something that really irritates me because I'm really tired of hearing. Oh, there's too many people in the world. It's humanity's a plague. And I don't think that's true. And while we do have problematic things, I think that we also have the capacity to do really amazing things. And I think we should be focusing on doing those really amazing things and less on, you know, we're a plague. I think that's Blaming kind of a other. useless yeah. thought process to get into. Yeah. Yep. I, I, I totally agree. All right. Before we wrap up here, I did want to offer a few alternative solutions to consider that may be more effective at supporting our environment than the ones that we 
uh, discuss today that are not so effective. Uh, and, and I think one of the most important ones to consider there is sustainable and regenerative farming that involves livestock and that uh, using that in place of monocropping, which is the, the main means used for food production currently. And I'll refer to a, a couple of links in the show notes, uh, one which is a TED Talk by Alan Savory discussing how regenerative agriculture with livestock can reverse desertification, the creation of deserts, uh, which is actually a huge problem around the globe. That is another thing that's not really discussed. And not only is that contributing to environmental damage, but the desertification of, of the environment is also causing famine and a lack of access to clean water, which then causes various political disputes and violence and uh, starvation. And I mean, it's a major, huge problem. So uh, that's a really great TED Talk to take a look at. And then I'll also refer to some Instagram accounts and channels with some more information about regenerative and sustainable agriculture and, and farming practices and how those things affect our environment. And with that, if you did enjoy today's episode, please leave a like or comment if you're watching on YouTube. And if you're listening elsewhere, please leave a review or a five-star rating on iTunes. All of those things do a lot to help support the podcast and are very much appreciated. To check out the show notes for today's episode, you can head over to jfeldmanwellness.com slash podcast, where I'll link to the studies and articles and anything else that we referenced throughout today's episode. And if you are dealing with any low energy symptoms, whether that's chronic cravings and hunger, fatigue, joint pain, poor sleep or insomnia, hormonal imbalances that result in low libido or other reproductive symptoms, or if you're dealing with weight gain or brain fog or any digestive symptoms like bloating or inflammation, or any other low energy symptoms or chronic health conditions, whether that's heart disease or diabetes or autoimmune conditions or any other chronic health issue, then head over to jfeldmanwellness.com energy where you can sign up for a free energy balance mini course where I'll walk you through how these symptoms and conditions are really caused by a lack of energy and I'll explain what you can do from a diet and lifestyle perspective to maximize your cellular energy and therefore resolve these symptoms and conditions. So to sign up for that free energy balance mini course, head over to jfeltmanwellness.com energy. And with that, I'll see you in the next episode.